This morning's scripture is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here uh, again this morning. Um, I was debating on whether to say this or not, but in the first hour, uh, Brent actually introduced me as uh, Pastor Dog. I thought that was pretty cool, you old Pastor Dog. And uh, Hey, Dog. But uh, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything, but I was hoping he would do it again in the second service, and then he didn't. But uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, we're continuing today our series that uh, Rick kicked off for us last week called When Jesus Says Amen. And uh, this has to do with the fact that in ancient languages, in the ancient Greek particularly, uh, there was very little in the sense of punctuation, uh, no exclamation points, and certainly no highlighters uh, to emphasize something that was particularly important. So if you were going to do that, you might use a word like amen uh, to emphasize that, hey, this is particularly important and pay attention. And there are several statements in the uh, New Testament where Jesus uh, starts off with that word, amen. Uh, In a lot of the translations, it's either verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say to you. But uh, we kind of like putting the amen back into it, amen? Amen. It's sort of like when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. So uh, we've got the amen in the passage here. So this is what Jesus said, if you want to put that amen back into it. Amen, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, this is a wonderful, lavish, loving promise that God has given to us. Nothing will be impossible for you. And yet, I can't help but imagine that there's many of us here today that hear this and skepticism comes up uh, right away. Because we've all experienced situations where we had something in our lives where we wish that God would either fix or heal or change it, and nothing has happened. In fact, I would almost bet that every one of us here today has something like that in your life right now, and it stays the same. And when we're in a situation like that, unbelief, the opposite of what Jesus is talking about here, unbelief charges at us in these situations and poses one of two, if not two, questions uh, to us in a situation like that. Where's your God? Or maybe, well, where's your faith? If God's promising to do all this stuff and nothing happened, well, where's your God? Or if it's uh, dependent upon faith, if you have faith the size of a mustard, well, where's your faith then? unbelief comes up and charges at us with these very tough questions. Both questions, in fact, came to Johnny Erickson Tata. 
uh, someone that many of you have probably uh, heard of and read her books, maybe even heard her speak. Uh, When Johnny was just 17 years old, she ran down to a lakeside dock one day and dove off the end of it and had her life changed forever. Because the lake, as it turned out, was too shallow, and she hit the bottom, and she hit the bottom head first. Broke a uh, vertebra in her neck, and she was a quadriplegic, essentially, from that point on. And imagine that, you know, losing the use of her arms, her arms and legs right then. It's a wonder she didn't drown that very day. And there were days afterwards, sometimes, where enduring painful treatments and wondering what was going on and the questions that we posed earlier coming to her, where she almost wished that she had But being a good churchgoer and uh, someone who knew the promises of God, such as the amen statement that we're looking at today, she and uh, others began looking to God to heal her. And so I don't know if she was Presbyterian or not. I should have checked into that before I uh, uh, came along. But she did the good thing a Presbyterian should do, and she went to the elders. And she asked them to pray over her and to anoint her with oil, as uh, James's letter tells us to do. So she did that. Nothing. Nothing happened. She was not healed anyway. So continuing to uh, try to pursue this, she went to a rally of a famous faith healer, Catherine Kuhlman. I'm not familiar with her, but apparently she's well-known anyway. So she got there super early. She wanted to be one of the first ones in the line to be able to get right up to the front and close to that stage to experience the healing. The thing is, when the doors opened, she and about 30 other people in wheelchairs were put off to a side room. And were kept far from the stage and far from the healing they had come for. So where is your God is a question that comes from the mouths of skeptics, but sometimes from our own disappointed hearts as well. So Johnny had to grapple not only with her questions about God and why did this happen and why is nothing happening to change it, but with the help of her Christian friends around her, she also had to grapple with questions about herself. Listen to this story as she relates it. This very earnest young man named David came up to me, knelt down by my wheelchair and asked me, Johnny, are you sure there's no unconfessed sin in your life? I just know that God wants to heal you. He was basically saying my faith wasn't big enough or strong enough or righteous enough. So the question comes to us again in light of this promise, where's your God, where's your faith when things we want to see different don't don't change? As I said, these these questions come at us hot and heavy when we consider a a powerful statement like this because unbelief and the spiritual forces of darkness in this world and the world around us do not want to see uh, this astounding promise of the Lord's come into play in this world. So to try to understand this and and grapple with this, let's take a step back and want us to look at uh, our passage, uh, but not only our passage, but the context of it as well because this very passage, I think, gives us answers to these questions. The painting on our bulletin cover, for instance, if you look at that or just check it up here, check it out here up on the stage. Um, It tells the story of our passage and its immediate context, the verses just prior to it. It's a painting by, uh, actually the last painting by the Renaissance master Raphael, and it depicts two stories at once, two things that were actually happening at the same time. Uh, the transfiguration of Christ, which is in Matthew 17, 1 to 13, and then our passage, Matthew 17, 14 to 20. And the painting itself is a study in contrast, isn't it? You look at the top, and it's all light and beauty and glory, the transfiguration of Christ. But if you look to the bottom, it's all darkness and chaos and confusion, isn't it? 
And that's depicting what life is like when we're not trusting in Christ because that's what was happening with the nine disciples. Now, in the transfiguration, you see Christ, of course, and then the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, they're the ones uh, laying down at the top of the mountain. The other nine disciples were left down in the valley. So while the transfiguration was going on, a distraught father brought his son to the other nine disciples. And he was having all sorts of troubles. He was having uh, seizures and um, apparently was demon-possessed and uh, would, the demon probably was trying to get him to uh, jump into fire and into water with suicidal thoughts, I suppose. But in any case, the father brings his son to the nine disciples for healing, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Why? As Jesus told them after he returned, uh, they, they, he healed the boy, but then the nine come and say, why couldn't we do it? And he answered, and it's the sentence just before our amen statement today. But he said, because you have so little faith. Amen, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So sometimes the answer to that question, where is your faith, is that, well, we have so little of it. And that's not the happy answer, but that, is, uh, that was the case for the nine, and it's sometimes the case for us too, isn't it? But I don't think it's so much the, uh, the size of our faith, it's that we don't act upon what faith we have. Because again, notice Jesus says here um, that even just the faith the size of a mustard seed, just a small, tiny amount of faith acted upon, you see, will accomplish all these things. So it was... Uh, the little faith or the the faith that wasn't acted upon by these nine disciples that kept them uh, and kept this miracle, kept this healing from taking place. And this is really kind of surprising because the nine disciples were part of the 12 that Jesus had sent out earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. You can look in uh, the Gospel earlier, and it's uh, depicted in the other Gospels as well. But he sends the 12 out to preach the Gospel, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons, and they do it. And it's amazing, and they come back rejoicing in the power that uh, they saw and the good things that took place as a result of Jesus having sent them out. So they have done it before. Why didn't it work this time? Why didn't it work this time? Well, we're not told exactly, but I bet we can make a good educated guess because while we don't know the nine disciples, we do know ourselves, don't we? And they're probably not too much different. And we know how easy it is uh, for us to trust in ourselves. How easy it is for uh, us to trust in me. You know? And I don't mean all of y'all trusting in me. You trust in you and I trust in me. And, and we trust in ourselves rather than Christ. It's so easy for us to get to that point, isn't it? Trusting in ourselves or some process or procedure. Uh, for instance, here's how it goes, I bet. How easy it is for those of us who've been a pastor or an elder or a deacon for a few years or maybe who have led a Bible study or a life group, uh, taught a Sunday school class for a while, organized a retreat or two. You've been on the life, um, the uh, First Impressions team uh, for a good while. You've got it now. You, you figured out how it works. And what used to scare you a little bit, now has become routine. You figured out how to do it. You've got the procedures down and all that. You're accustomed to it, and you can almost get to the point where you're phoning it in. Right? We've all been there. And all, uh, what all that means is you're no longer 
as diligent as you used to be, because you were a little nervous about it, to go to God and ask him to bless and to work through you and to help you to do it, to bless others through you, acknowledging that it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, and therefore depending upon his spirit to work through you. And so while you go, and maybe people still enjoy what you're doing and say thanks and all of that and what a good job you did, they're not being changed by it. The transforming work that only God can do isn't happening because he's not in it because you're not acting in faith. The same could be said about any number of other aspects of our lives. Uh, Your studies at school, the job you do at work, making a living, uh, being married, raising kids, being a good neighbor, all of that. When we're not trusting in Christ, nothing eternally important happens. But of course, it's not always a lack of faith. It's not always a lack of faith. Sometimes we pray in faith, we act in faith, but still the desired result doesn't happen, right? And that's when unbelief rears its head and asks that other question, so where's your God? And to me, that's the even more devastating question than where's your faith? Because I know how weak I am, and I know that I'm uh, you know, not always acting in faith and all of that. I come up short all the time. That happens. But the question, where's your God? Is he even there? Well, there's no hope in that at all if you go there. But that's where we need to remember that God is not only there, but he's been there too. You might be saying, well, what, is, what do you mean there, Doug? Uh, God, he's not only there, but he's been there. He's been there and done that. Remember when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he was there, our Lord himself who said that if you have just the faith the size of a mustard seed, ask what you will, and it will happen for you. Who said that, that nothing would be impossible for you. He lifted a prayer to his heavenly Father, right? He asked that this cup might pass from him. But his prayer wasn't answered, was it? His faith in his Father was so much larger than a mustard seed, there was no question about the faith that he had, his trust in his heavenly Father. And yet what he asked for didn't happen. But still his faith did not waver. And in a sense, he did get what he prayed for because bottom line, he wanted what his father's will was no matter what, right? Lord, may this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And so he did, in a sense, get what he uh, wanted. But he wanted his father's will no matter what. And so he submitted to whatever his father was going to have uh, be the case. And that, of course, meant the cross, right? And good for us that that happened. Uh, Where would we be without the cross? What if Jesus' prayer had been answered? You and I would still be lost in our sins. You and I would not be reconciled to God as we are. And so sometimes there's good reasons for our prayers not to be answered, that God has bigger plans, that God has other things. Sometimes it's simply that we, we don't know everything, obviously, right? And we don't know how, let's face it, If you always got everything you asked for, would that be a good thing? (laughs) No. (laughs) Hence the old expression, right? Be careful what you ask for. God knows it all, and so he is aware of things that we aren't. So sometimes it's not a matter of a lack of faith, and it's not even where's your God. It's that our God is there, and then he's, he's there in a way that is for our good, more so than even what we're asking. Just to return to Johnny for a moment, um, 
you know, she talks about how, gosh, she had, Johnny Erickson Tyler, that is, uh, how she had struggled and so asked that God would heal her and all that. And so many, many years ago, it's been now. And she's reflected back on that. And of course, you can imagine she's been asked this question many times. So, you know, God didn't heal you. And she said, yeah, but you know, if he had healed me that day, so long ago, like I so wanted, uh, none of this other stuff would have happened. She's been used in a powerful way for the American Disabilities Act to be passed, for instance, uh, here in our country. She's ministered to so many people and has been such an encouragement, uh, written books about suffering and all the rest. And none of that would have happened, she said, if I had uh, been healed right away. And she said, and even more important, perhaps, the things that God was doing in me and how he's drawn me so much closer to him, none of that perhaps would ever have happened either. So God knows things that we don't when it comes to how he answers our prayer. But the question, the answer to the question of where's our God, he is there. Again, he is there. So the next time that question wells up for you, where's your God in the midst of this mess that you're in that you wish you were out of, remember this. I'm going to use an illustration we've used before, but I think it bears repeating in this context perhaps. But during the uh, Korean and Vietnamese conflicts, uh, there was one airplane that the enemy feared more than any other. When they saw it, they were terrified. They would run in abject terror because they knew it meant trouble of the worst kind. Now, don't you want to see this airplane? It must be fearsome, right? Well, get ready. Hang on to your seats now. Here here comes this horrific airplane right there. Scary looking, isn't it? Wow, isn't that a terrifying looking airplane? Uh, Actually not. Uh, It's not fast. It doesn't have a jet engine. There's no weapons on the thing. There's nothing terrifying about this at all. It's called the 01 Bird Dog. Now, that's even a scary title there, isn't it? Bird Dog? Yeah, okay. Um, The 01 Bird Dog. So why why were the enemy, why were they so afraid of this? Here's the thing. It wasn't the 01 itself. It's what lay behind the 01 Bird Dog. Because the 01 bird dog, uh, hence the title bird dog, was calling in the big boys. Guys like that. Um, Now, yes, that's a more modern plane, but just go with it, okay? Uh, It has bombs and missiles on it, all right? Um, But the 01 bird dog, he would go to the front lines and, and look for trouble, look for the enemy. And when he found the enemy, he would call these guys in, the fighter bomber dudes, because they were waiting nearby and then he would call in the coordinates, and they would come in and make a strike. So when they saw the O-1, they were terrified. And that's where God is. He's waiting. He's nearby. He's waiting for us, if you will, to call in the coordinates for a strike through our prayers and through our actions when we are trusting in him rather than ourselves. Can you imagine if the 01 bird dog said, well, hey, there's the bad guys. I'm going to go down and try to do something about it and get close by and say, hey, y'all go away or something. You know, he had no ability to do anything in and of himself, but what he was able to call in was amazing power that made an amazing difference. And that's where our God is, and that's what he's calling us to do when we think of prayer, to call in him, to ask in faith for him to work and to look for him to do this. And he is wanting, waiting nearby to do this. Uh, I think a passage that illustrates this very well uh, comes to us from Luke chapter 5. Listen to this. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Jesus. 
When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat, threw the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Wow, that's an amazing passage to me because the guy even is forgiven of his sins because of the faith of his friends. That's the kind of thing, I, so I just imagine them like being in a bunch of old one bird dogs and they're calling in Christ to say, heal this guy, would you please, Lord? We trust you. We know that you can do it, would you please? And he does. Uh, I also love a story from the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 14. It's a story about Jonathan. Uh, he was the son of King Saul. And it was a typical situation uh, back in the time of Israel where they and the Philistines were having a war. And the Philistines were oppressing the Israelites pretty strongly, and uh, they weren't able to, you know, shirk them off. And so all this was going on. Now, Jonathan wasn't the king, so he couldn't command the troops or tell them what to do. But uh, I think one day he must have just gotten what Bill Hybels calls uh, a holy discontent. He's like, I'm t- I can't, again, I don't know, but I can imagine him saying, I'm tired of the enemy oppressing our people. And so he goes to his young armor bearer and he says, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So this Philistine army gets confronted by two guys. Because Jonathan simply realized the power of God and the willingness of God to work. And he said, I don't know what God's going to do. But I have this holy discontent with this situation. So I'm going to act upon this and trust that God will work to do something to relieve our people. He acted in faith, in other words. And so the rest of the story, and I love that statement there. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Two or a whole Israelite army. Either way, if God wants to do it, it's going to happen. So he and his armor bearer, uh, they go trucking off, uh, heading towards the army of the enemy. Now that's pretty crazy right there. But then he, as they get close, they realize that the Philistine army is up on this ridge. Now, you may or may not know much about military stuff, but the high ground is what you want. And that's where they were. But he says, you know... Um, if, if the guys on, the, uh, on top of the mountain there, on top of the ridge, if they say to us, if they see us, first of all, and that's bad, you, know, you want to sneak up on them, you don't want to be seen. But he says, hey, if they see us and they say, come up here and we'll whoop you guys, that'll be God's sign that he's going to give them into our hands. That makes no sense at all. But that's what happened. And sure enough, he said, okay, that means God's going to deliver them into our hands. And so let's go. So they charged up the hill and they whooped those guys. And just the ones that were on the ridge there. And then God sends an earthquake and God sends a panic. And the rest of the Israelite army figures something up and they go sweeping in. And the enemy, the people who've been oppressing God's people, were defeated and moved away. Simply because some guy got fed up and said, I'm just going to act and trust God to work through me and we'll see what he does. Uh, there's so many other stories uh, that we could all share. I'm sure we each have stories where uh, we've trusted God for something, we've asked him to do something, and, and it happened, and it was so much of a blessing. Uh, I got to go on a uh, something I'd wanted to do my whole life last summer and got to go with a couple of cool guys uh, on a, a baseball road trip. It was so much fun. And, of course, I prayed, you know, that God would give us a good time and all that. Well, you know, if you go see a baseball game, it, you, you need it not to rain. 
because it would be washed out. You'd take that trip for nothing. So uh, we went up there. One of the days we went to uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. Wonderful. Enjoyed that. Interesting thing, it rained that day. So it rained that day, but it didn't rain the next day when we were going to go see the New York Mets play the St. Louis Cardinals. I happen to root for the Cardinals, in case you didn't know. The thing is, since it rained not that day, but the day before, the Cardinals game that was supposed to be Monday night got rained out, so they were going to have a doubleheader on Tuesday. I got to see my Cardinals twice in one day for no extra charge. Don't tell me there's not a God. I'm serious. But in the small things in the big... uh, a much more profound and important story is uh, one of the stories of many that we could tell uh, about our friends in India that belong to Harvest Ministries. Uh, one of the villages where a uh, church had been planted there had some uh, folks in the village, uh, Hindu folks, uh, just get incensed that there's this Christian church here. And so they started threatening the Christians there, uh, talking to the pastor and all this. And finally got to the point where they said, we're going to burn this church down if you do not get out of this village. So they called us. And they were praying, of course. They called us. I'm sure some of you heard about that and were praying. Before the burning of the church happened, they got a letter from these same guys saying, you know, we're sorry. We shouldn't have threatened you like that. And we're not going to do that. And you can stay here as long as you want. Really? (laughs) Maybe we need to start writing letters to terrorists across the world or something. I don't know when you think about it. But um, those are examples of the kinds of things when we call in the coordinates, so to speak, that God just might do if we trust in him and act on our even mustard side seed of faith. So what would you like to see the Lord do? Where would you as sort of God's spotters, if you will, want to see him work? What sin would you like to overcome in your own life? What relationship would you like to see reconciled? Who would you like to see come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord? Would you like to see a revival in America? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Would you like to see Christians take the arts back? Would you like to see a covenant child in our church experience God's blessing their whole life and come to know him as Savior and Lord at an early time in their life and live for him all their days? You can do that by joining Pray For Me. Uh, there's an insert in your bulletin about that. I encourage you, if you haven't already, to sign up for that and put uh, that mustard seed of faith uh, to work. Act on it. And since we're talking about faith, who do you know, maybe yourself, who's going through some trial that uh, they would like to see change? Um, you can pray for the circumstance to change, but maybe even more important, pray for them to be exercising faith in God themselves, however it turns out that they would not be asking where's their God or where's their faith, but they'd be trusting him even in the most difficult of circumstances. Sometimes I think that's what God's wanting to do more than anything else, and that was certainly Johnny's testimony to us. Now, in conclusion here, I want to uh, read a Bible passage that shows us what happens when God's people pray. And it's not anything that happens in these shadow lands, as they're sometimes called, but what happens behind the veil. Uh, Uh, Brent read from uh, Revelation earlier. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. Listen to what it tells us about what happens when you and I pray. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. 
He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. That's what happens when we pray. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, how we do thank you for the privilege of prayer. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this promise that you gave us that when we act upon just the smallest of a mustard seed of faith, uh, Lord, that nothing is impossible for us. And uh, while we know that there are other components to this and you know better than we do and you bless more than what we ask for uh, and all of that, nevertheless, what an amazing promise. And we pray that you would forgive us for the times that we have not trusted you enough to come to you, but have trusted in ourselves and uh, trusted in processes that we've learned, routines that we've gotten down. Lord, help us always to take advantage, advantage if we can put it that way, of you and your power in our lives. So Lord, even now we would come to you and pray for you to be at work. Would you work in us that which is well-pleasing in your sight? And, Father, some of the things that we've mentioned here, uh, would you uh, please be at work in our community? Uh, We ask that you would give us faith to be at work here uh, through our ministry partners to uh, be putting the gospel out with expectation that you're going to work, that you're going to uh, show yourself to people in our community and bring people to saving faith. We would pray the same thing for our brothers and sisters in Brooklyn and in India for the gospel to have success in and through them as well. Father, as we've uh, focused on uh, Life Week and our Life Ridge ministry that we have here at our church even, uh, we pray that abortion as we know it in our country would come to an end, that you would change the hearts of so many people uh, who are considering these kinds of things and uh, to bring healing where it needs to come as well and help us as a church to know how to minister to people uh, in these kinds of situations. Um, Father, we do pray for the covenant children of our church and thank you so much for them. Uh, we thank you for the parents that are seeking to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The many uh, Sunday school teachers, gems and cadets, the uh, high school and middle school youth ministry folks, uh, and all the things that are there. Lord, would you use them and all of us uh, to speak the good news to them that they might see, hear, and follow you. Father, we do pray for our country, which is in such dire need. Uh, We see how people are getting more and more hostile. Uh, There's less and less civility. Uh, We talk about dialogue, but it doesn't seem to ever happen. Uh, I pray that you would bring the peace of your gospel to our country and bring revival. That uh, those who even mock your name now would come to see you for who you are and be turned to you in faith. And Father, um, we just commit ourselves to you and pray for you to be at work. That we might be people who act in faith who trust you in all things. And even to that end, we would pray now for our tithes and offerings that you would use them, Lord, as we give them, to accomplish your good purposes in this world, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.